I noticed a slide up there. The seniors are having a dinner. I think they're going to Denny's on a um, this, on November the 16th, I believe. And so uh, I see Brother John or Sister Jan about wanting to be a part of that. I appreciate all of you that have uh, been working and giving, and I know Youth Boosters Breakfast this Saturday, and we're glad that all of you are in the house of the Lord. I know um, <clears throat> it's, it seems like it's been exceptionally busy, and um, I, uh, I, I know, you know, um, seems like um, you know, the faster you run, the you know, almost like the gerbil. But uh, you can feel, and our our state, you know, just had uh, major issues on the ballot, and you you feel a sense that um, it's like you, the church. We need to realize the hour we're living, where we're headed, what's going on, because. You know, you can blame, well, the people didn't know or this didn't happen or whatever. But I think uh, overall, uh, <clears throat> just a, a strong sense of, you know, Lord, um, you can feel the hour, the oppression, the, the almost the iron and clay as we've talked about. And of course, uh, when you realize the gospel of John, um, one of, of a powerful gospel, a very powerful book, and I, the more I've looked at it, and the more I've read out of it, uh, the more obviously I, I've preached out of it numerous times, but uh, I know this overview is not doing all of it justice. I know it's not uh, covering every verse uh, to the depth that it could, but it is um, it is just again refreshing to know that Jesus uh, did his best to show and to prove who he was, and John was able to record that. So we here we are, growing apostolic legacy, and we are looking at. Uh, the Gospel of John, we've covered the first eight chapters, and now we're going to jump into chapter nine. And you can read it uh, for your homework, or if you've already read it, if you've been reading ahead, uh, you know. Uh, and, and many of these stories you're going to know because uh, you've been in Bible study for years and studied the Bible. But uh, Jesus passes by in the ninth chapter it records a great miracle and John was was very uh, quick to note that he was blind from birth and his disciples turned and asked a, a very important question because it is one in which a lot of times people uh, struggle. When things happen, they believe, well, somebody must be at fault. This goes all the way back to Job, you know, when his comforters would say, Job, you've done something, something's going on. You're having problems, you got this happened to you, and you must have been a bad boy. You must have, and unfortunately, since very few of us are perfect like me, <laughs> ha ha, that was supposed to be funny. We can all point to something that we wish we would have done different. 
or we would have done better. If there's anybody that can hear me tonight that says, I've prayed all that I've prayed. I've had a wonderful attitude and spirit all the time. I've been loving and kind. I've done everything to glorify God and to worship God. Well, you're probably going to go, and I don't tell lies. Or you're deluding yourself. I'm not saying we've been out here doing whatever horrible things you want to say, but we all, when we come into the presence of the Lord, the Lord is supposed to kind of help all of us realize, okay, I need to correct a little of this. I need to rough, there's a rough edge here. I need to let the Lord work on me a little bit here. Oh Lord, I'm sorry. Now, if you've never felt like that, then I'm saying, I wonder what the Holy Ghost is doing because the Bible says that the Holy Ghost is supposed to convict us and, and help us realize Ooh, I need to be a little better. I need to be a little kinder. I need to be a little more patient. I need to, oh Lord, please work on me. And so they fell into that same trap. They said, who did sin? This man or his parents that he was born blind. Now, you know, it's kind of like, was he a bad sinner before he was born and then the Lord judged him? Uh, was he, what, what happened? And Jesus' answer was amazing. He said, neither did this man sin nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in a manifest and so in him. And so then he goes on to say, I must work the works of him while it is day. And then he makes this powerful statement. I am in the world and I am the light of the world. And this is a blind man who can't see light. So now he's made this statement, I'm the light of the world, and here's a guy that can't see light. So this is a perfect opportunity for a miracle because here's a man that can't see light, and so what does the Lord do? As the light of the world, he spits on the ground, yuck, makes this mud, puts it in the guy's eyes, and tells him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And it's not the pool of Bethesda, because if you remember, we studied about that. The pool of Bethesda was where the guy was lame, and the pool of Bethesda was sort of, you know, a healing place. Well, this is the pool of Siloam, where they go and pour out water for sacrifice. It was not, it didn't have any healing water, but it was that pool that he tells him to go wash in and he washes his eyes and what happened? Anybody remember? The guy can see. And verse 32 in this same chapter it makes it, it repeats it again and it makes it even stronger. It says, since the world began was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? So what they were saying is because he had, and, and probably, possibly, he even had no eyeballs in his sockets, which was why the Lord possibly put mud there, so he could, because he had no he had nothing to, he'd never seen light, never, never any, he had been born blind. 
Now, I, I put here on this slide, Ezekiel, the third chapter, the fourth chapter, the fifth chapter, because for those of you who've studied in the Old Testament, Ezekiel was one of many prophets that used natural elements as part of their communicating lessons. You know, in fact, uh, Ezekiel says, bind me with cords, and he walks around saying, you know, the enemy's going to bind you. He made this model of the city in chapter 4, and he puts an iron wall, and he says, this is what's going to, enemy's going to come in, and then in the fifth chapter he shaves his hair and he measures it out. So it was not unusual for prophets to use sort of the natural things uh, to, you know, show a, a lesson, to teach something. And there are several examples, you know, that we would say were illustrated sermons or miracles, uh, you know, when the prophet says, take these arrows and pound the ground and you only pounded three times. You see what I'm saying? It was like, you should have beat the arrows and beat them and beat them. So, you know, the use of spit and dust or dirt was, I think, especially poignant because the spitting was, I, thank the Lord, I don't think I've ever been spit on. That's considered a little bit, not only gross and yucky, but it is very derogatory. Now, Isla Joe spits on me a lot. I have to change clothes sometimes two or three times a day. A shower. But she doesn't know it yet, Okay. But now, if Siobhan walked up and spit on me, huh? I'm going to go, whoa, what's this about? I mean, for me to spit on someone is extremely. And then dust, dirt, you know, what does the devil, the Satan, the snake crawls on? But what's so powerful is, guess how we were formed in Genesis, the second chapter. God took the dust and breathed into it the breath of life. So it was almost like Jesus was remaking eyeballs or eyes for this man out of dust and out of what came out of his mouth and he put it in his eyes and the guy could see. And I, I put the verse in Isaiah where it talks about the people spitting on Jesus. And he said, I hid not my face from shame and spitting. And that's a, an amazing, you know, that Jesus would take the shame in order for my healing. And, and amazing that he <clears throat> would not turn his face from that when they were spitting on him. Here is the God of all creation and allowing humans, the people he created. You know, how dare you talk to me that way? How dare, you know who I am? I'm your mom, I'm your dad, I'm your papa. <coughs> I would be telling Siobhan, how dare you do that? Thank you. Is that for me? Thank you. 
How dare you spit on me? Don't you know who I am? <clears throat> I can't believe. And yet, here he is. He takes that and he spits in the ground and the guy goes to the pool of Siloam, washes his eyes, and what happens? He can see. But where's Jesus? He's not at the pool of Siloam. So the guy is just, wow, he can see. So he goes around. He can see. So people said, ask him, he said, how, how, do you, how are you seeing? And here's his answer in verse 11 of this ninth chapter. A man that is called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes, and said unto me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received sight. And so what did they say? Where is this guy? And he goes, I don't know. So they bring him to the Pharisees. And they say, here's a guy that was blind from birth. We've known him. And he just got it healed and he can see. Now, unfortunately, thank you, Brother Dan. And unfortunately, what day was it that Jesus did that? Sabbath day. Now, for the Jews, you cannot make somebody better on the Sabbath. If they cut their arm, you can stop the bleeding, you can keep them from dying, but you can't put any salve on it because that would be work. Now, who made the Sabbath? Who was the original one that rested on the Sabbath? So we're telling God manifested in the flesh. Let me tell you how you need to, what you need to do on the Sabbath. Well, guess what? The Bible does not tell you that you can't put salve on it. These were man's interpretation. Right now, it's true in Columbus. You go driving through Bexley, there's a wire across the road. Go so far, and the wire, if you go through there on a Saturday, you will see Jewish families because they have the, it marked off how many blocks are less than a Sabbath day's journey. The property, the houses, the people that live in that area, they can go to the synagogue because, and they will walk. They will walk because they can not, they, in fact, if you, we went to Israel, they don't clean the motel rooms. So when we get there, we get there on Saturday evening after they've, they've done the Sabbath and you have to wait until the sun sets and then all the maid service comes and cleans all the rooms and then they finally let you in your room at 9.30, 10 o'clock, you know, because you're, you're already there. They, they will not, it's kind of uh, strange if you ever see one, they have lamps that sort of turn and the lamp will stay on all the time and they can kind of brush up against it 
and turn so light can show up, but they can't turn it on. If it's on, they can open the shutter, so to speak, of the lamp so that the light will shine out, but you can't turn it on. Now you say, well, that's just, you know, but, and I'm not speaking ill of that. I'm just simply saying that's how meticulous they are about the Sabbath. So the Sabbath is a big deal, even today. And it was a huge deal. So when the fact that the Sabbath was when this happened, that immediately <clears throat> floors them. And so they, the Pharisees start asking the guy, how did you receive sight? And he tells the story again. He put clay in my eyes, I washed, and I see. What is their interpretation of this? This man is not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Other people said, well, you know, how can a man that is such a sinner do such miracles? And there was this division among them. And so now they turn to the blind man who's never read the Torah because he couldn't see. He didn't have Braille back then. And so what did they do? What did they say to him? What sayest you about he that opened your eyes? And his thing is, well, must be at least a prophet. I mean, to heal me, he's something. He wasn't saying that, you know. And notice what verse 18 says, but the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind. So this has all been a fake. This has all been manipulation. So immediately whenever this guy goes, it must have been a prophet, they go, okay, you really weren't blind. That's another way. It was just fake, you know? It's kind of like, oh, Lord, pray that, you know, my hand will grow. Oh, hallelujah. What a miracle tonight. Zip, you know. Okay, well, it was fake. I'm sorry. But God really can heal. And this was a thing, you know, it wasn't a sham. It wasn't manipulation. And I know my grandparents, you know, told me stories of back in the 30s and 40s, almost 100 years ago, where a movement called the Latter Rain was going through. And, you know, people were charlatans, basically. You know, they'd load up on chicken entrails and pray and slip their hand up and pull out cancer, you know. Ah, look here, I'm healing you right now. Yeah. People found out. And there are always those that are doing things, you know, pretend and if you'll give me your money, I'll, I'll do whatever. But this was, so they call the parents and they said, is this your son who you say was born blind? 
How then doth he now see? And they begin to question and question and question. And what are the parents? What do the parents say? Look, <laughs> I don't want to get crossways with you. Don't ask me. Talk to this guy. All we know is, you know what? He was born blind. I, he's our son. And so then they called the band that was born blind back and they said, give God praise. We know that this man is a sinner. And this man that was born blind turns their own words against them because he said, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. What I do know is I used to be blind, now I see. And they said again to him, what did he, what did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? And he said, I have told you already, and you did not hear. Wherefore would you hear it again? Oh, this is where he just plunges the knife in. If you hear me say, I was born blind, and I now see, and this is the one that healed me, will you be his disciple? And immediately they just, they went through the roof. You're one of his disciples. We are. Whose disciple? Moses. In other words, we follow the law. We're not going to listen to the guy who gave the law to Moses. We're following the law. We are Moses' disciple. Now, this is where it gets really good. Because he says, we know, they say, we know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we know not whence he is. And the, he tells them again. The man answered and said to them, Why herein is a marvelous thing that you don't know from whence he is, and yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. And then that verse that we quoted and we read earlier, since the world began, no man had ever had their eyes of one that was born blind. And then it goes on, he goes on to say, if this man were not of God, he could do nothing. So basically what he's told them is, you say only God could do that. I'm telling you, here's who it was. Now, Important to note that there was a difference between temples and synagogue or the temple and the synagogue. 
The temple was supposed to have places for everybody, Gentiles, women, men, etc. But the synagogues were like local churches and they could kick people out. As a matter of fact, if you read in Matthew, the fourth chapter, the 23rd verse, it uses an interesting way to describe a synagogue. It says, and Jesus went about all of Galilee teaching in their synagogues. In other words, it wasn't God's synagogue. God had the temple. It was their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of diseases. Their response to this man's words were, they answered and said unto him, thou was altogether born in sin, do you teach us? And they threw him out. Now, they threw him out of the synagogue. So Jesus finds him, and when he had found him, he asked him, do you believe in the Son of God? And this man says, who is he, Lord, that I could believe on him? And Jesus said, thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And what it was his response when he believed? He worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I am coming to this world that they which see not might see, and they which see might be made And it almost feels like people, you know, are, are blinded to some issues. And, and I, you know, I, and we just came through our own election and you're like, how could people vote this? How could people say this? How could people demonstrate this? And it's like, they cannot see where we're headed. They cannot see the ramifications on either side. And so you go, wow. And so some of the Pharisees which were with him heard those words when he made that and they knew who he was talking about. So what did they ask him? Hey, are we blind? Were you talking about me? I was in the store the other day and I was, I was, it was today actually, and I was, I was racing. I had phone call I had to get on four o'clock and I had things to do and I was racing and I was going down the aisle. I heard a lady say, better be careful, you're going to get run over. And I, and I was, <laughs> she was talking about me doing the running because I was kind of walk, power walking, trying to get through to get everything. I, I wasn't, she was on one side of the aisle and I was on the other and we weren't about to hit. <laughs> but part of my flesh wanted to say, are you talking about me? But I didn't have time to talk to her. So I thought, that's okay. She probably was talking about me. She probably went home and told her husband, my Lord, there was this guy in there going nuts. Jesus said unto them, if you were blind, you should have no sin. But now say you, we see. 
therefore your sin remaineth. What did he mean by that? He was saying basically, if you would admit where you are, you could be forgiven. But when you don't want to admit where you are, and that's true today. Some people just cannot say, you know what, I need the Lord. I need, th- I, I need God more than anything else. So when you, you know, this keeps going. Basically, it's, it starts, you know, this real intense battle with the Pharisees. John, the 10th chapter. Now he's talking about the sheepfold. And if one comes in, he that enters the door is the door of the sheep. The sheep hears his voice, calls him by name. You can read this 10th chapter. And he puts forth uh, his own sheep. The sheep follow him. They know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. And he's telling this story about the sheepfold. And they go, we don't understand. So he says, look, I am the door of the sheep. If every ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep will not hear them. He repeats it. I am the door by me. If any man enters in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Now, a lot of people have misquoted that, saying that, Uh, you know, there are other sheep, there are other fold, because he's going to talk about that in this 10th chapter. And uh, we'll we'll look at it. But then he makes a powerful statement about the enemy and one that you have to, I've quoted uh, a lot, probably you have too, because it gives us the sense of what is the enemy's job. The thief comes not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. And we know that. And so the Lord wants us to have life. So some of the things that we do and some of the things that we are and come in, you know, has come in Bible study, you know, uh, bring life. But he basically says, I'm come that they might have life and abundant life or better life. Now, Ezekiel, the 34th chapter, records this prophecy and you can read it. There's just numerous verses about uh, evil, wicked, selfish shepherds and how the Lord is going to judge them and how he will send the good shepherd to restore his people. And yet, uh, anywhere I ever heard of Thutis, Thutis or Judas of Galilee? They were two men that amassed followers and they were not good shepherds. They were people that amassed people. You read them about them in Acts the fifth chapter, 36 and 37 verses. For there before these days there rose up Thutis, boasting himself to be of somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves. He didn't have 12 disciples, he had 400, and was killed and they were scattered. Another one was Judas of Galilee, and they had, he had much people, and he also perished. And so one of the things that, you know, the Jews at that time were, if we kill him, they've seen other people come, and they reported or, or purported to be the, a, a, a Messiah or a, a child of God or a servant of God. And Jesus was saying, 
You know, there have been a lot of basically false uh, of those. And then he goes on to say, I am the good shepherd. I'm known of men. I'm going to lay down my life for the sheep. Then he, the famous verse of other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. They shall listen to my word. If somebody does not believe in the word of God, and they say, well, the Bible says other sheep, so it must be anybody. You can be Buddhist and be a sheep of God, or a Hindu and be a sheep of God, or you can be... It's not, it's, it said you've got to hear my voice. If you're not hearing his voice, you're not, he's not talking about you here. In fact, Jesus was probably talking about those that were from the tribe of Ephraim and prophetically later to the Gentiles. But he goes, there'll be one fold and one shepherd. It's not like everybody gets their own shepherd. I get my own God. I get my own path. And we have many paths up there. That's not true. That's not, I've heard people say that, and that's a joke. The Lord never preached that. He says, one voice, one shepherd, one, one fold. And he says, I lay down my life and that I might take it again. Now he's talking about he has the power to die, to lay himself down, and to get up. So if you say, well, God raised him from the dead, the Lord got up. No man takes it from me. I lay it down. I have the power to lay it down and the power to take it again. Twice he repeats it. This commandment have I received of the Father. Now, again... Why this caused such a controversy was because of Ezekiel, the 37th chapter. You remember Ezekiel, the 37th chapter, where there was this vision of dry bones and all these bones and, you know, the ankle bone connected to the foot bone and the ankle bone connected to the shin bone, the shin bone connected to the knee bone. Hear the word of the Lord. He prophesies to the wind. You can read it in the 37th chapter of the book of Ezekiel. And after, in the same chapter, after about verse 11 or 12, he then starts in by saying, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and will put it them with him, even the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they shall be in my hand. And David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall have one shepherd. So, that's why Ephraim, and when he went to the woman at the well, it was opening the door to the Samaritans and to those that were there that were believing in Mount Gerizim. It was like the Lord had already done that. He had already tried to bring them in, and they believed that he was the prophet. And so he says, Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace and it shall be an everlasting covenant and I will set my sanctuary in the midst of them and my tabernacle shall be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. So when Jesus talked about, I have other sheep, was he talking about Ephraim and Judah like the prophecy of Ezekiel? Or was he talking about Jews and Gentiles? 
or was he talking about both of them prophetically to bringing them into an everlasting covenant? I believe he was speaking of all of us, Jews and Gentiles and Samaritans. Well, he's saying these things, and so what are the, how do the Pharisees react to this? Because you see, Jesus is alluding to things that they've read, prophets, they know that. So the powerful part of verse 24 is, the Jews round about him came the Jews, and they said, how long will you make us doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. What is the two, the huge two-letter word in that? Us. Come to us and you tell us and we'll judge whether or not. Huh? And what Jesus immediately knew was you're not humble enough to just look at the signs Look at what it, you know, and, and I've had people that would say, well, if, you know, if they're really, if this is really genuine, I, I want, you know, that the Holy Ghost is real, then I want the Lord to just knock me down with it. It's probably not going to happen. He may knock you down, but he might not going to fill you with the Holy Ghost till you humble yourself a little bit. So you say, Lord, I want your spirit. Because if you're in there, if you're one, you know, well, I don't know if I believe. I don't know if I really agree with it. I don't know if I, well, guess what? You're not hungry. You're not thirsty. Huh? You say, Lord, I believe. I need it. I want it. And so they basically kind of, you know, told him, look, how long are you going to do this? Here's what beautiful Jesus' words. He said Look, I told you and you didn't believe. I did works that bear witness of me. You still don't believe. You are not my sheep because I just said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Nobody shall pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than them all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. And then the powerful verse, I and my Father are. And the Jews went bananas. They grabbed stones. They were going to stone him. Jesus wasn't going to allow himself to be stoned. He had to go to Calvary. And Jesus answered them a very important question. He said, what good works have I done that you want to stone me? And they were very, this goes back to the beginning of the ninth chapter. They said, it's not about your good works but for blasphemy. Because you being a man makes 
yourself, what? God. Now, what's interesting about all of that, and I, I, my time is up, but uh, is that the Jews actually, they're a monotheistic religion in one sense of the word, but they believe in other gods. I know you're looking at me strange, but they will talk about other gods, but it's little G-O-D-S, the God of this world, the God of, okay? I'll show you. I've got some scriptures on here to prove my point. You can probably already think of a bunch of them, but, you know, when you read, um, you know, have no other in the commandments, have no other what? Gods before me. So they're acknowledging that there are other gods, little G-O-D-S, you see what I'm saying? But they're not. So what was amazing is they wanted to stone him because they believed he was saying he was God. So the Jews knew what he was saying. He wasn't saying I'm a lesser God because they would often call the king was a, do you see what I'm saying? Was a child of God. So Jesus knew what they were saying and he quotes the Psalms to them. And this is powerful. He said, if he called them gods, little G-O-D-S, unto whom the word of capital G-O-D came and the scripture cannot be broken say ye of him whom the father has sanctified and sent into the world thou blasphemest because I said I am the son of God he said I said I was the son I never called myself God but you've already figured it out for me to do what I've done all the witnesses, what you have already understood is that I am God manifest in the flesh. And Jesus was saying, I never said that about myself. And even the Bible talks about a son of God. And he said, if I do not the works of my father, believe me not. But if I do, though yet ye believe not me, believe the works, and that you may know that the Father is in me and I in him. And again, they sought to kill him, and he, he went away where John was first baptized, and there he abode. And there were many that said, John did no miracle, but all the things that John spake of this man were true, and many believed on him. And I put a couple of the verses here, and I'm finished. This is my last slide. But Psalms, the 82nd chapter, the, the verse that Jesus was referring to, if you read in the first verse, it says, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the little G-O-D-S. 
Verse 6, I've said you are little G-O-D-S. All of you are like the children of the Most High. And yet, the writers will talk about the God of this world. I, I read, I quoted Exodus where he said, have no other gods before me. So while the Jews are monotheistic, they believe that there are lesser gods. And so if the Jews that were fighting with Jesus, they could have easily thought, easily, he thinks he's a little God. Humor him, okay? He's only got 12 guys following him. We've had guys that have had 400. Just pat him on the back. He's okay. Walking around in the desert. And, you know, John the Baptist was eating locusts. And eh, we got these kind of nut jobs all the time. But they knew there's something about this guy that is not little. Huh? They go, this is the real McCoy. That's why they wanted to stone him because they absolutely could not grasp in their little mind how this man could do the miracles, could say the words, could do the things, and the only way he could in their mind was to go, something different about him, something that we haven't seen before. And this is why they ultimately plotted to crucify him, to kill him, to get him out of the way. And yet, these two instances where Jesus could have easily let them kill him and whatever, but he, he didn't want that. He had to shed his blood on Calvary. I am so thankful that he did. He had to go to Calvary for my sins, for your sins. He, he couldn't let these Jews just kill him or the, stone him. He had, to, he had to be the supreme sacrifice. What a privilege it is. He came unto his own. But what happened? His own said, we don't want him. So we are privileged today. You know, you, you, I wasn't raised in a Jewish home. I wasn't born Jewish. Maybe, I don't know, go back however many generations, there might have been somebody in there, but I don't know. I don't know of any. All I do know is, guess what? He came and he died for me. And he was indeed God manifest in the flesh. Let's stand. Good to have all of you in the house of the Lord. I'm thankful that I know him, aren't you? Amen. I'm thankful that I know his name. Thankful that I know who he is. I'm thankful that I can hear his voice. I will tell you in this hour, you know, this is not a time to get frustrated and get overwhelmed with what's going on in the world. The Lord knows exactly and I, you know, I listened as pundits for and against, you know, were saying, well, they should have done this and they should have done that and this is what and this is that. And I thought to myself, you know what? The Lord has got this whole planet on a path.
And I don't know about you, but I saw where Texas had a big earthquake and today and uh, I don't know, five point something. And I know Nepal did and a lot of earthquakes and a lot of stuff. Italy's been having them. Hallelujah, Lord. Come quickly. Let's thank him for his word. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your many blessings. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Bless your word to our hearts and minds. We want to hear your voice in this hour. We know that we're, we are safe in your hands. You told these followers that if we are in your hands, nothing can pluck us out. We are safe. We know that we have the comforter, your spirit. What a privilege it is to know you. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.